Some of you may have uttered this phrase at a time in your life. Wow, I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed that. Can you think of what it might be? It might be for some of you a trip back to a theme park. You hadn't gone in a long time and you got a chance to go and enjoy that. For some of you, it might be a a hike in the woods, just an opportunity to kind of get away and enjoy nature and hear the birds sing. For some, it might be a nice afternoon, probably not this afternoon, but a nice afternoon on the lake fishing where you close out the whole world and it's just you and the, and the hook and the fish. Could be that it's a quiet afternoon by a fire reading a book that you look back on and say, boy, I sure, sure miss that. I, I enjoy when I have an opportunity to do something like that. Could be visiting relatives. I hear it often at the visitations at funerals, families saying, wow, we need to get together more often, we really enjoy being in each other's company, but we do it so seldom. For some of you, it might be something as simple as a family game night. You come to the conclusion that we know we need to do this more often. I really enjoy it when I, when I do it. We need to do it more often. There's a process of rediscovery. That is discovering again something that added value to your life, something that was meaningful to you, something that really meant something. And serving is kind of like that. Serving takes effort. Serving is, can be a real challenge. You don't want to really get out of bed on Saturday to go serve or to take time at the end of a busy day to go serve or to spend time on a Sunday afternoon serving. Sometimes it takes a little bit of sweat equity. Sometimes it's just time. Sometimes it's just effort. But when you get to the end of that, you look back on it and go, wow, you know, I really miss doing that. That adds value to life. That, that means something to us. We began a couple of weeks ago a process of rediscovery. We began two weeks ago, if you'll remember, rediscovering Jesus. And some of you, some of you have been reading through the Gospels in the month of January. And I know that some of you are because last week someone came up to me and said specifically do you realize that chapter 19 was in there twice? See, that always tells me that somebody's paying attention. Now, had I been smart, I would have said yes, and I put that in there just to check. But actually it wasn't. It was an error, but it's not going to hurt you to read a chapter twice. Some of you are continuing on that path. Some of you become discouraged because you've missed a few days and you think, oh, well, I might as well chuck the whole thing. It's, it's like when you have a resolution to lose a little weight, and you kind of make it through two or three weeks of January, and then finally you give in. And when you give in a little bit, you say, well, you know what? Might as well go ahead and eat the whole cake. Just might as well. I've blown it. Wasn't supposed to have any. I ate a slice. Might as well eat the whole thing. Well, some of you look at it like this. You say, I've missed two or three days. Might as well just chuck the whole thing. I'm not going to be able to do it. The good news is this doesn't change. And so you can pick it up right where you left off. And you'll find the word is still just as true, still just as powerful. Rediscovering Jesus. uh, Last week we looked at rediscovering church. What What it is not by the culture's definition, or not even by my definition, but what is the church by God's definition? And what is my place in that? Today we want to begin a rediscovery of serving. That thing that sometimes costs us time, at other times costs us sweat, but that thing we look back on and say, wow. You know, I don't really miss doing that kind of thing. What is serving? 
Let's start with a simple definition. Serving is following the example set by Jesus himself. Serving is following Jesus' example. What do the scriptures say? Jesus said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about this. Jesus, who was God himself, the king of the universe, came not to be served, but to serve. And the ultimate act of service to give his life as a ransom for many. If this is the king of the universe, then we, his followers, following in his footsteps, need to adopt that attitude that Jesus had, who wasn't prideful about his position, but humbled himself and became a servant. Serving is simply following in the footsteps of Jesus. And we serve not to be honored. We serve really not even to be appreciated. Those things are nice when people notice and they say thank you. It's awfully nice to be honored. It's nice to be appreciated. But that's not why we serve. We serve because we have a Savior who was a servant. Because he set the example of service for us. And his serving went beyond simply washing the feet of his disciples. Now, believe me, that's significant enough. You're out walking in sandals all day. There's no automobile traffic. It's animal traffic. So you can imagine the things that they would walk through. And then at dinner time to be able to pull the sandals off his disciples and to kneel with a basin and a towel and wash his disciples' feet. That certainly is one act of service and a major act of service. But what we're told is Jesus' greatest act of service was to give his life for sinful humanity, to die on our behalf that we might have life, to willingly give all of himself, not just a little bit of his time, not just a little bit of his effort, not just a little bit of his sweat, but to give all of himself in service. Serving, then, is to be the normal and expected result of following Jesus. It's what happens because you're a follower of Christ. Now, serving certainly is not always easy. But do you know that you are created, shaped by God to serve? He designed you to serve. Well, how do we know that? Well, the Bible says it very clearly. The Bible says we are God's workmanship. That is, we are God's masterpiece. We're what God is working on. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, the Bible does not say that we are saved by our works. But the Bible does say that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good deeds should flow from our lives because the love of God flows in our hearts. Good deeds are a part of who we are. And what's more, what do we read here? That God is prepared in advance for us to do these things. Now, you may wake up absolutely clueless as to what your day holds. There are certain, obviously, there are certain things that you can plan out. You knew you were going to come to perhaps Bible study this morning, worship today. Perhaps you had some food to bring for the hospitality time out here. Or maybe you were serving back here. Maybe you were assigned to, to work in the, in the uh, nursery or with three and four-year-olds. If so, 
you better get over there. They'll be looking for you. You had some assignments. You kind of knew what some of the day was going to be like, but you don't know what all the day is going to be like. Because there are always those curveballs that come in your day, always those opportunities that come. And you make choices at, on the spur of the moment as to whether or not you will respond to those opportunities. But this is what God's Word says, that He's prepared in advance good works for us to do. And that means He has prepared us for the work and the work for us. And that's significant. It's not just that God was going through his card catalog and says, ah, here's something I can toss Tommy's way. Let me give this to him. No, he is prepared in advance. He has laid it out. And the good news is he's prepared you for it. I believe this with all my heart, although sometimes I don't feel it. That whatever I encounter today, God has already prepared me for. Whatever is going to happen today, God has prepared me for it. God has given me the experiences, the information. He's given me everything I need. And most importantly, he's given me his grace so that I can face this day. I get to, in, I get to the end of no day that I should say, I am defeated. Because I'm a victor, a champion more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. He's not going to leave me unable to accomplish what he gives me to do. Now here's an important, important thing to remember. If we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, then if we don't do those, think about it, we're working against the plan of God for our lives. If God has created us to do good works, but we bow up our backs and say we will not, then we are fighting against the plan that God has for us in our lives. Over 250 years ago, a preacher by the name of John Wesley challenged his listeners with these words. Do all the good you can in all the ways you can to all the souls you can in every place you can all the times you can with all the zeal you can as long as you ever can. I agree. What a challenge. A challenge to serve in every way we can to be available in every opportunity to give all of ourselves in every way we can to the service of our Lord by serving others. And what John Wesley was saying was that God's call on our lives is not just to do the good deed of the day and get it out of the way. But instead, we're to be constantly aware of and ready for the opportunities that God is surely going to bring our way and has prepared for us. And we're to do those things not to be thanked, not to be rewarded, but for the glory of God. Remember what Jesus said. We quoted it last week. He said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Live in such a way as the light of Christ is being manifest from you that people will see the things you do and they'll point not to you but to your Father 
who enabled you to do them. Many of you are doing just that. You give so freely of your time and of your talents. You serve others, and it often goes unappreciated and unobserved. Some of you serve inside the walls of this church. Many of you serve outside the walls of this church. You serve by both the sweat of your brow and the love that beats in your heart. And you don't do it to get a pat on the back. You don't do it for any other purpose than the glory of God. You serve in Jesus' name. And you serve for Jesus' glory. And when you do, you set an example for other believers who can follow in your footsteps as you're following in the footsteps of Christ. But you also shine the light of Christ into some very spiritually dark places in our community. And that's what we may not understand. That when we live as believers, when we respond by grace and love to the needs that God brings to us, it's like turning on the light bulb in a dark room. And we point people to Christ as the light. Don't look at us. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Because he is the reason that I am here right now. He is the reason that I've got my sleeves rolled up. He is the reason that my jeans are dirty and have holes in them. He is the reason that I'm sitting here holding the hand of a sick person. He is the reason why I'm in the hospitals praying with someone who is suffering. He is the reason and no other reason. It's for his glory and by his power. When it comes to serving... As with every other rediscovery that we make, we could no, in no way touch the depths of what it means to serve, what the Bible says about serving. There's no way we could dive into those depths. And so this morning, as we just kind of skim the surface a little bit, I'd like, us to point us to, I'd like to point us to one verse, and that's Galatians 5.13. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open there. If you don't, it's going to be up on the screen in front of you, Galatians 5.13. If you've not read the book of Galatians, perhaps after you finish reading the Gospels, it'd be a great place to go. In Galatians 5.13, we read these words. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. I'd like to point out just two things from this verse to you this morning. And first is... That serving grows out of our salvation. Serving grows out of our salvation. The writer of Hebrews says, For this reason Christ is a mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He died to set us free from sin. Now, if we go on in Galatians chapter 5, skip back to verse 1, we read this, Galatians 5, 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so what we're learning from these two passages, first of all, we've been set free from the bondage to sin. We have been set free from the bondage to sin. You don't have to earn your salvation. It has been earned for you by Jesus Christ on the cross. 
you have also been set free from the bondage to legalism. What is that? Legalism is thinking that you have to somehow earn God's love, God's acceptance by working for it. Now, this is true out in the world. We grow up with this concept, and, we, and it's part of how we function as a society. If you work, you're to be rewarded. If you don't work, you're to be punished, or at least not rewarded. But here, there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's no way we could ever clean ourselves up good enough to stand before God and say, okay, here I am. And God, knowing that, out of his own deep love for us, sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, that believing in him, embracing him as our Savior and our only hope of salvation, we might have life and be cleansed by him so that I don't stand in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ himself. That's what it means to be set free, that I don't have to earn my salvation. I don't have to earn God's love. I don't have to earn God's grace. It is freely given to me in Christ Jesus. You don't have to do stuff to get God to love you. You don't have to do stuff to get God to say, this is my son, this is my daughter. You're not bound to a religious system or a set of rituals that you have to follow in order to be right with God. If you're in Christ, the Bible says you've been set free from sin and from legalism. Because you're free, boy, I I hate to say this. Boy, you don't know how badly I hate to say this because I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. Because you're free, you do not have to do any good deeds to anybody. You don't have to. I mean, you're saved by God's grace. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in. You don't have to do any good deeds. You don't have to feed the hungry. You don't have to help the hurting. You don't have to visit anybody in the hospitals or ever walk in behind the bars at the Greene County Jail. You don't have to walk the halls of a nursing home. You don't have to do any of that. And to be quite honest, Christ doesn't want you to do it simply because it's an obligation anyway. Because you feel like you have to. We're to serve like Christ served. He served willingly. He chose to serve. He chose to humble himself. It was his choice. And so we are freed from having to do anything for Jesus or for anybody else. We choose a life of humble service because within us there is the compassion of Christ. We are free from having to serve. And we are free to willingly serve. There's the difference. We're freed from having to serve because somehow God's going to bop us on the noggin if we don't. We're freed from having to serve because God's going to quit loving us if we don't. We're freed from that, and we are freed now to serve, to find God's will for our lives, the giftedness that we have, and to put that into full effect, serving the Lord with gladness. Serving is simply to be the overflow 
of our salvation. Secondly, serving is an expression of love. This is what the Bible says in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why was I hesitant to mention all that stuff about freedom? Because with freedom comes risk. Any of you who are old enough to have children who are grown know there came a time where you had to entrust your child with the keys. Oh, I'm going to be home before midnight. I'm just going to the movies with a friend, some friends of mine. It'll be boys and girls. You don't have to worry, and I'll be back by 11 o'clock. Everything is good. And you put those keys in those hands, and they head out the door. And to be quite honest, you don't know if they're going to the movies with their friends or going to that party you've expressly told them not to go to, hang around people that you've expressly told them not to hang around. There is a risk with the freedom that you give to your children. We understand that risk. But there's also a risk when it comes to Christian freedom. Because we are saved by grace through faith and not by works, we can choose as someone who is saved, redeemed, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can choose to continue to indulge in our sinful nature. We can make that choice. Christians could become selfish and self-indulgent, denying themselves nothing and saying all along, well, you know, if I'm in heaven, then it really doesn't matter what I do here. I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm not going to lose my salvation because I know it because the pastor's told me so. And so I can live any way I want to live. The Apostle Paul, he had a group of people that had that same attitude. And let me tell you what he said. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, if God's grace is sufficient to cover my sins. If I receive forgiveness for everything that I've done, then perhaps I bring God even more glory by going out and indulging in all this sinful behavior so that he can pour more grace on me. May I continue to sin so that grace may abound, so that grace may increase, so that grace may continue more because in doing so I've got some warped concept that I bring God more glory by living in sin and proclaiming I'm a Christian. Paul says, have you lost your minds? If you're thinking that way, by no means is that true. We died to sin. How can we any longer live in it? We died to that. That's the old life. We walked away from that because we know it is fruitless and we know it brings no glory to God at all. Why in the world do we return there? And instead, we need to be walking with Christ, going where Christ leads, serving as Christ serves. What the Bible encourages, encourages us to make is a better choice, and we read it earlier. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. 
Rather, serve one another in love. You see, we can put all our effort and energy into pleasing ourselves, or we can put some of that effort and energy into serving others. And what's going to make the difference when we choose is love. Jesus has instructed us, love your neighbors as yourself. If the love of Christ is in us, truly in us, then his love will inevitably lead us to serve others. Now, we've got all kinds of motivation for why we serve. We can pity someone and serve them. We can feel superior to someone and therefore serve them. We can serve other people because, quite frankly, we just feel guilty not doing it. But the highest and the purest form of serving comes from love. And in fact, what the Bible tells us is that if we do it apart from love, it doesn't mean a thing. In 1 Corinthians 12, excuse me, 13, Paul writes, If I give all I possess to the poor, everything, if I give it all away, or even die, surrender my body to the flames, die for Jesus, if I don't have any love, I gain nothing. It has no value whatsoever. If we're going to rediscover serving, then it begins with Love. Now, it's not some namby-pamby, weak-kneed feeling we're talking about. When we're talking about love, what we mean is com- a compassionate commitment that leads to action. John 3.16, notice this. God so loved the world that he what? He gave. God loved, so he gave. It's the same equation that's at work in our lives. Because we love we give of ourselves. We give the best of ourselves. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in you. In other words, God moves into the neighborhood. And one of the things that God is trying to do in you, that the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in you, one of the fruits of the Spirit is, take a guess what? Love. That is one of the things that the Holy Spirit is producing in you even as we speak. Love, the same kind of compassion that led God to act, is being formed in you by the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to God's challenge for us today, and it's not an easy one. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions... And he sees his brother in need but has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Based upon this, how can you serve? If you'll indulge me for a few minutes, I'd like to give you just kind of a running start. Throw out a few things for you to consider as you pray about rediscovering what it means to serve. Certainly, you could volunteer in your community. We have all kinds of different opportunities 
in order to serve in our community. All kinds of ministries and there are community organizations that you can plug, in, plug into and make a real difference. And you need to be aware of those and open to those opportunities as they, as they come up. A little easier perhaps for some of you is to take time one day to go through your possessions and see the things that you don't need, that don't close, that don't fit anymore. If you've got 13 coats and you only need 12, then you probably are living somewhere else than, than Georgia. But if, if you go through your things and you see them and you go, we don't need these things, then, then why not donate them? And there are places in our community like the thrift store or Goodwill or, or Habitat, if it's furniture or some other kinds of things, there are places that you can donate these things so that it can be of help and use to other people. You can visit the elderly and sick. And I got to tell you, that for some of you is not your forte and God may not have shaped you for that but some of you have a heart of compassion and and you're infinitely uh, patient and and you could take that and say perhaps God is leading me to go and to sit with people who need a loving touch you can serve children you not only serve children by working here in, in our child care or by working in powerhouse that's important there are other ways to serve children. You can mentor a child at a local school. I've been doing that, and I skipped one year because of some things that were going on. And when I got back in, it was that same process of rediscovery. Wow, I miss this. I miss having time with that child to delve into their world. It can, you can coach a sports team. What you're doing is you're bringing the love of God to bear in the life of a child, some of whom have never known the kind of love that you're going to bring into their lives. You can mourn with those who mourn. Recently, we just lost some wonderful people in the life of our church, and just this past week, we lost Peggy Gardner. Peggy's been away from here, so if you haven't been, if you're recent with us in the last three years or so, you probably never even met Peggy, but a wonderful, vivacious lady whom Parkinson's just took hold and began to slowly change her lifestyle and change her life. And she went home to be with the Lord this past week. You can mourn with those who mourn. You can visit those in jail. Do you realize that, that our church has a jail ministry and that you could be a part of something like that? Visiting men or women based on whoever you are. You can serve with your kids or with your grandkids. We talk about serving children, but did you ever think about taking your children or your grandchildren along when you're serving others? To set an example for them. You go, oh, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I've got grandkids now and I want to spend time with my grandkids and that means I can't serve. No, it doesn't. It just means your service changes. And if you have never taken a child to a retirement center or to a nursing home, it can be a little intimidating for a child. But I can't tell you what it does for those senior adults to have a young, fresh face in front of them. I, when Jackie was a baby, I used to take her visiting our first church, visiting the senior adults in our church. It was a wonderful experience to take a little baby in. And, and man, it just it light, brightened up their days. And sometimes if you're visiting with senior adults, you know, sometimes they can go on for a little bit and you're trying to figure out how in the world can I get to my next appointment? How am I going to get out of here kind of thing? 
And it was really, if you take a baby with you, you can always say this, wow, I think she needs changing. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I only use that a couple of times. But taking children with you to serve sets an example for them. It's not, it's not only a blessing to those that you're serving, but it's a blessing to them as well as you set that example for them. And, of course, there are numerous other places within the life of the church that you can serve, and it matters. You think, oh, it, it doesn't matter if I'm a greeter. It doesn't matter if I'm working in child care. It doesn't matter if I'm working in hospitality. Oh, yes, it does. It matters not only to our members and regular attenders. It also matters to those people who are coming in for the first time to see a smiling face, to be warmly greeted. You have no idea how many people I talk to who say, wow, I visited that church over there, and it was cold as ice. Nobody spoke to me. I went for three or four weeks, and no one ever spoke to me. Serving here, it matters too. Last week we said that being a part of the body of Christ was vitally important for the church to be the church. And we added that our community is waiting for a genuine expression of Christ to appear. Can I selfishly say, I want that to be Grace Fellowship. I want it to be Grace Fellowship. When people think of a church that is moved with compassion to serve, I want people to think first, that's Grace Fellowship. And I don't think it's out of some warped sense of pride on my part. It's because if we ever gain that reputation fully, it means we're following Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. There is no greater way to show the reality of Jesus in our lives than to express his love to others by humbly serving.